All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Chapman, the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I'm one of the men in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Zephyr Epic ships free anywhere in Canada from... From Kamloops to Kingston, Nova Scotia. From Kamloops... Kingston, Ontario, Kingston, Nova Scotia, but also Kingston, Ontario. Mm, actually, I've heard that they don't. Go, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, they <laughs> ship to Kingston, Ontario. Canada wide, Zephyr Epic ships free on any order over fifty dollars. So go check them out. Follow them on all social platforms. Z e p h y r Epic. They've got you covered on all of your trading card needs, whether that be the Pokemon cards, the Yu Gi Oh cards, the basketball cards, the hockey cards. We, we are partial to. Go check out Zephyr Epic. We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D is all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Quadrelli. I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place fresh off a hot Canucks trade deadline. This is fresh off the press. Not a press because it's a podcast. I don't know what the term would be. It's a podcast. Trade deadline recap show. Chris Faber. Yeah, you said a hot day. It wasn't even that either. You basically just ruined the last 15 seconds with incorrect. It was hot in the car on the way here. Well, it was, yeah. Well, the window. well, I had the heat on. I left this morning bright and early, and I tell you, it's it's so damn cold in the morning still, but it's starting to, to get to that nice little temperature during the day, which I appreciate. I appreciate that about uh, BC and this West Coast living that we do, but it was cold in the morning. I had it cranked up to 80 degrees in the car. Uh, anyways trade deadline this is our first episode since obviously all of the trades have happened uh, all three of them which we'll recap as well as the pickup as well i guess you want to just do it in chronological order yeah i think Big that's word the for best me there. way Harmon dial will be joining us shortly i know you probably saw in the title or description that Harmon's going to join us Harmon has to do the van cast okay never heard of it never heard of it Harmon has to do a podcast that shall remain nameless, uh, and he's going to be joining us shortly. But we just want to at least get the start of it done, get all our ad reads. Should all I actually check? Stuff. See, it. speaking of Vancas, is Drance available? Give him a give him a call real quick. Let me let me check. Hello, thank you for calling Thomas Drance. Straight no. to voicemail, eh? Straight to voicemail. Freaking this guy, eh? Thomas always, Drance. always puts us to voicemail. Now I see why these people got him at Twitter. Does he's got us blocked? <laughs> Maybe these people are onto something. <laughs> I'm joking. Drance is a good guy. These people uh, have some thoughts, and and Drance helps us out a lot. We like Drance. Okay, Harmon Dial joining us shortly. But the Vancouver Canucks with I don't even want to call it a busy trade deadline, Chris, because I think aside from the Hamonic deal, and obviously Dermot comes with that. Aside from those deals. That happened on Sunday. I don't think the Canucks did anything we weren't expecting. Like, this was basically the bare minimum, was it not, to move Tyler Mott? We'll recap the deals, and then we'll kind of break it all down. But just to recap what the Canucks did on the deadline, don't forget Brad Richardson, but Travis Hamanick started everything off when he was traded to the Ottawa Senators for a third-round pick. No salary retained, folks. So what the hell <laughs> so, are the Ottawa Senators thinking, dude? So hold on. We got we to gotta break this down first. No laughing. No laughing at the Ottawa Senators yet. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. The thing about this deal is Hamanick is signed this year and next to a $3 million deal. Now, when this deal was signed in the offseason... It wasn't a good contract. It wasn't necessarily a bad contract. But when you take into account everything that happened with Hamannick this year and, you know, how he was late was late coming to camp. He was, you know, not playing games. 
you know, he was up and down and all this stuff was happening. He was injured. There was a lot of stuff happening with Travis Hamannick this year. Hasn't appeared in a ton of games. And when he did, he wasn't very good. Dude, and he was available on waivers four that's, months that's ago. The thing, is you could have picked him up for absolutely nothing. What is it? The waiver fee is what? $3,000? It's 3300 bucks or something <laughs> to pick up a waiver player? They could have done that. Instead, they wanted to give up a third-round pick. Thank you. To Pierre Dorian and whatever's going on Eugene there. Eugene Melnick did not want to spend oh 3300 bucks. Gosh, dude, what a ridiculous trade from the Ottawa Senators. Thank you so much because this made, like, this trade deadline's a much lower grade for me if you don't get this Hamnick deal done because not only did you lose Hamnick's $3 million cap hit of this season, he was signed for next year for three th- for $3 million. And you were able to get a third-round pick out of this? To basically like flip your the your possession of Winnipeg's pick for Travis Dermott, which we'll get to in a minute, but I could not believe this deal got done. And I think the more time like when it when it first happened, it was like, What? I can't believe this. You look at the replies from the folks in Ottawa and like, oh my goodness. But this what a fleecing by by Patrick Alvine and Trader Jim. Like these guys this made the trade deadline good for them because of that. That was an A plus trade for the Vancouver Canucks perspective to get away from some money and somehow I don't. I would have tra- like in my eyes trading Travis Hamonic would have been like if you were to give like a seventh to go with Hamonic, I would have done that deal. To think that you're able to get like pretty good value back, what a great deal for the Vancouver Canucks moving on from Travis Hamonic and bringing in a third round pick there. I loved how that started off the weekend. And of course, the thing to keep in mind is they got their own pick back. Like, that third third round pick that they traded for and got back from Ottawa was one that they dealt to Vegas for Nate Schmidt. Yeah. So they had Winnipeg's pick. So try and keep up here, folks. They traded Winnipeg's third round pick to Toronto in the Dermot deal, which we'll get to in a sec. But they had that pick because they traded Nate Schmidt to Winnipeg for a third round pick. So the reason you want your own picks for anybody wondering is if you ever want to offer sheet, you need your own picks. You can't have pick compensation with another team's picks. You have to have your own picks. So now the Canucks have all their own picks. I mean, they don't have a second. Thank you, Jim. Wait, there's a button for that. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? They don't have all of their picks because of that trade. Obviously, the second round pick is with Arizona thanks to the OEL Garland deal, but they do get a third round pick back. And that brings us to our next trade here, Chris. Because a third-round pick, Winnipeg's Hold on, before to... we move on to that one, I just want to say it one more time. This trade for Hamannick is unreal. The Canucks really get this much value for a guy in Travis Hamannick's situation. I, I just I can't believe it. We heard, I think Rick Dollywall had it today on Donnie and Dolly that some of the Canucks were happy that this move even happened because there was... Cerevalli. Cerevalli had it. That. Right, that's right. He was on uh, Halford and Bruff this morning. And, yeah, I mean, like there was so much baggage behind... Travis Hamannick this year, and I just I can't get over the fact that he was on waivers four months ago. Could have had him for free four months ago. <laughs> the Canucks were able to get a third round pick. I feel for the uh, for the Senators fan base, man. I think the Canucks fan base has it hard sometimes, and it just seems like the Sens every year, every couple of months, actually, just something else just happens for this poor, poor fan base of out there in Ottawa. Now, not to dump on Hamannick or the Senators too too much because. You know, it's obviously very easy, especially when it comes to this deal for the Senators to dump on the Senators themselves. But Mark Mathot, who used to play for the Sens and is still very plugged in, tweeted this about the acquisition. He said, it's a weird acquisition for sure. 
I honestly haven't followed the on-ice play of the player, Hamannick, in some time. I can say this. I know lots of players. All of them have told me that the new acquisition is a bit of a different bird. Not sure that's what I'd want around a young core. And then he said, of course, I could be wrong. The problem is I'm usually correct. Chris, we know. And, and then obviously, like you said, Saravalli today said Patrick Alvin uh, gained some support from the locker room today by trading Hamannick because uh, he had overstayed his welcome, I believe was the verbiage that Saravalli used. Um, so the thing that I wanted to say about this is, again, not to dump on a guy too much, but when you talk to people in Long Island, when you talk to people in Calgary... There's a bit of a trend with Hamannick, and it kind of um, kind of echoes what we just read from Mark Mathot. So I'll leave it at that. All the best, Travis Hamannick. Yeah. I'll just leave it you at that. You know what? I heard from guys in the AHL that really liked his presence exactly. out there. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think that there was obviously some good. The guys seemed like they seemed to like him. For, from what all we heard in public, I don't know what the players thought about him not showing up to camp, not doing well, the whole vaccination thing. If you ask a player like, publicly, a they're all going to say they loved him, yeah, right? As they true. should. You you don't dump a guy when he's out the door. For sure. <laughs> Leave that to the media. That's our job. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we'll see what happens, I guess, moving forward. But I'll tell you, what a steal. Let's get to the let's get to the yeah, Dermot deal. Exactly. And or the as, deal, uh, as Murph calls him, Mick Dermot. I don't know what I felt it, bad. I made that mistake, a, too, but I made it in my own head. He's got he some, did it I thought air. it was a bit. I thought he was uh, trolling for a little bit. No, I, I I did the same thing. But like I said, I did it in my head and then immediately knew I was wrong. Murph did it on air. Poor guy. A few times, too. We've got to have him back on to defend himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll get behind uh, the whole Mick bit. <laughs> All right. Regardless, the next trade the Canucks made was another good one, and it was about this Travis Hammock deal kind of played into it. It was shortly after, like less than two hours after. Canucks trading Winnipeg's third-round pick that they had from the Nate Schmidt deal. Third-round pick to the Toronto Maple Leafs for Travis Dermott. Left-shot defenseman who's going to play on their bottom pair really solidifies that bottom pair. I talked to a scout, Chris, who said that Dermott can not only play on both sides, but the analytics would suggest, and I hate saying that, but the analytics would suggest that there is a lot of untapped potential there. Now, they suggested similar things to a much lesser degree, of course, when Jimmy VC and Travis Boyd were acquired as well. So do with that what you will. But I am excited regardless, because look, whether you think Dermot or Hamannick is better or not, and I think the answer is quite clearly Dermot, whether you think they're better or not, the cap hits alone. The fact that it's even close to some people the cap hits alone should tell you that the Canucks won this swap. No, absolutely. You get your third round pick back. You also get the opportunity to shed 1.5 million of cap space. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm not in like a, this is a home run move for the Canucks. The third round pick being moved out. I'd love to see the Canucks have more draft picks to be able to add, sure, sure. add some defensemen to their prospect pool, a thing they've needed for a long time. But you know what? They went the direction of going on a guy who little bit of, I wouldn't say risk, but you're taking a chance with this player, right? Like a third round pick is going to get you a half decent prospect that you can add to the pool and hope that he develops into something. And with Dermot, you're, you're getting a player who's 25 years old, I believe. And, and a lot of people believe, like you said, there is some untapped potential there. The exciting thing about him is the way that he plays as a defenseman is the type of style that we're seeing the NHL evolve into where it's so reliant on the ability to be able to skate the puck up the ice, make the first pass. And he's a player who wants to, he sounded excited this morning. when he was on Halford and Bruff talking about getting a new opportunity. And sometimes as, as an NHL player, you and a coach don't really disagree on the, or you and the coach don't agree on your playing time and what role you're going to play for the team. 
there's going to be opportunity for him the rest of the season here. And this isn't a guy who played like 10 games this year for the Maple Leafs, right? It was something in the 40s for him. So he was getting into a decent amount of games, just not really playing into the role. And then with with Rasmus, uh, oh, what am I saying? Rasmus Sandin over there uh, as a defenseman, kind of jumping him in the depth charts. There was an idea, I think, for a while. He kind of mentioned that he was going to be getting out of town. And to come here to Vancouver, a spot where he's been a closet Canucks fan, he said that he used to grow up playing uh, as Roberto Luongo in the in the Sedins on NHL. That was his favorite team to play with in the video game. Uh, and that's what made him a Canucks fan. said that he had a, a BlackBerry case with a little Canucks thing on the back. It was the battery cover. Before your time, quads, Blackberries used to be a thing, and getting a nice case for it was a good uh, was a good little flex, and he said that's what he had. He had a BlackBerry case with a Canucks logo on it. So shout out to uh, Dermot being a closet Canucks fan over there, born in Newmarket, Ontario. That absolutely rocks. This is the quote that I got from a scout when I asked about Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott is essentially the platonic ideal of a third-pairing defenseman. He's consistently produced strong two-way results, albeit in a sheltered role, excuse me, and moved the puck effectively well while offering the sort of versatility one should covet in that part of the lineup as someone who can play the left or right side equally effectively. If nothing else, he's a quality option at the bottom of the lineup and cost-controlled for the next two seasons at least. At just 25 years old, perhaps there's untapped potential further up the lineup as well. So that was the Sunday trades. Today. Monday, Chris, when we're recording this, Tyler Mott traded to the New York Rangers for a fourth round pick. Now, the reaction to this deal is a bit mixed. Like, I understand there's there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, well, you, well, you should have got more. But look, like Mason Appleton goes for a fourth. A lot of these players that I know Canucks fans value Tyler Mott quite a bit, as does his agent, as he should. I know he's like seventh on the team in ice time, which would suggest he's more of a third liner that plays on the fourth line role. But... To the trade market, he's a fourth liner. Like, that's how he's valued. And he went for the cost of what we saw fourth rounders going for. So, a fourth round pick from the New York Rangers in exchange for Tyler Mott. Patrick Alvin spoke today and basically said what we all already knew. They decided once they realized they couldn't get him signed and they weren't going to come to an extension, that they needed to get an asset for him. And I'm sorry, but this is something that we were clamoring for during, during the Jim Benning era was... If you know you're not going to sign someone, get something for them. Don't just let them walk to free agency and get nothing. Like like you said, Jack Rathbone was taken with a fourth-round pick. Yeah. Like, give your scouting staff something to work with here. Give them more than, yeah. I mean, you're, you're going into this draft already missing picks, right, before this trade. So to... To get a fourth round pick, listen, it's not the value that that I was expecting back. Like I was really thinking that the Canucks were able to get at least a third round pick. I was thinking something like in the realm of third and sixth, third and fifth, uh, second maybe if you got lucky. I, I was a little surprised to see that it was just a fourth round pick coming back. I, I do wonder if there was some time kind of wasted by the Vancouver Canucks really attempting to get a last minute deal done in extensions. But I had a feeling that Mott's camp and, and from all the conversations I heard from his camp were that they were pretty steady on a number and they weren't really going to budge from it. And I think the Canucks were also pretty steady on their number and weren't going to budge for it. So I don't think that these conversations were had that deep into the night. I think both te- both sides had an understanding that they were far away and weren't going to get a deal done. So I was a little surprised to not see the Mott deal done sooner. I thought you could potentially see in the morning. I was a little surprised to see him play even in the Sunday night game. I thought at that point, maybe that's when you're having the conversation about moving Tyler Mott and having a real serious conversation with other teams. 
what I believe is that there was some sort of deal kind of on the table and something they wanted to push a little bit late from the Vancouver Canucks giving away on Sunday night, like Sunday night into Monday morning. I think the Canucks were still really in the eyes that they could get a final deal done for an extension. And obviously they didn't get to that point. They ended up moving on for a fourth round pick and good for them. Like getting some return is good, but I'm still curious. Like I wonder if Mott could have gotten more value over this time. I I have to imagine quads. Like I know that the, the thought process is maybe the NHL doesn't value him. Like he's valued here in Vancouver, but I'm still in the camp of like, I, I, I don't believe that this was the best offer for Tyler Mott all season long. I would have to imagine that at some point, some team was willing to give a third round pick for Tyler Mott, whether it be in the last week or in the last couple months. I think that you would be able to get at least a third. I, I can't, I don't see a world where a, a, a pick. I don't see a world where this was the best offer for Tyler Mott all season long. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of a mistake on when the decision was made to move on from Mott. I'm glad they got something. I think it would have been horrendous to watch him just skate out the rest of the season with the Canucks after they're out of playoff contention. I'm glad they got a pick, but I I am a little surprised. I, I, I just think that there had to be a better offer on the table at some point this season for Mott. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's hard to disagree with that. You know what I mean? Like it, the the question always comes up of when do you have the time? When's the time to move him? Right. And obviously the Canucks viewed the deadline as that. And I, I have to say, I think they were hoping for more Chris. And when we saw the trades that were happening, a lot of them were players that were admittedly better than Mott. Hagel comes to mind, right? Obviously he went for a King's ransom, but when you look at the trades that happened leading up to the deadline, it looked like, okay, Mott's going for a third, maybe a second. I was thinking but third then, minimum, right? But then once you see that Mason Appleton trade, right? And when you start to see what these players who are, are viewed as fourth liners going for, then it was, okay, I think the I think the price tag's going down on Mott. I don't think they're getting as much as we originally thought they would. Uh, for Tyler Mott. We'll break all this down with Harmon Dial a little bit more when he comes. We've got a poll question. We'll get to it. But first, let's have a word from our sponsors on the other side. We'll break it down more with Harmon. Get into the poll question. Keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks Conversation. And before we go any further into the episode, want to give a shout out to Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can find Parallel 49 Beer all across BC and Alberta. And right now we want to give a quick shout out to the Unparalleled Pack featuring four of the P49 favorites. The Trash Panda, the Filthy Dirty, the Jerkface 9000, and the Hillbilly Ninja. My favorite of the four there, the Jerkface 9000, the Pink Can. Something good about those cans there at Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. And a massive thank you to Parallel 49 Brewing for sponsoring this podcast. Folks, if you want to advertise with us, shoot us a message, any of us on Twitter, uh, at Quadrelli, at Chris Faber 39. Yeah, except for Harm. Harm gets all this money from coming in here with these appearances. He doesn't need any more of that. Harm Harm gets the message about (laughs) sponsoring the podcast. He's like, how would you like to sponsor me only? (laughs) I had your mic into my bad arm. <laughs> All right. Our episode 248 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods. Go to atlasgds.com and use promo code CC15 to get 15% off your first order. Folks, these are the best fresh pork rinds that you can find. They come from the microwave or your air fryer. They're fantastic. You I know throw. what I picked up? I got some of that white uh, cheddar popcorn 
whatever, sprinkle stuff. And? Flavor. I haven't put it on yet. I just bought it last night when I went to Superstore. I went to my walk, which uh, I seen a review somebody wrote that uh, this is the perfect podcast to listen to when you're walking around Superstore at 10 p.m., which is very true. And that's what I did last <laughs> night. Got myself a, a white cheddar uh, seasoning mix there. There was a review that I read, and the person said... If you want hockey talk, this is not the podcast for you. And I was like, oh, darn. But then I saw it was five stars. They oh, came back. Strong. They were like, they were like five stars. I love it. And they were like, they were like, yeah, if you just like hockey talk, this isn't the podcast for you. These guys have great personalities, which is true of you too, of course. And uh, it was good. It was great. So best fresh pork rinds you can find. Go to alicegds.com. Again, use promo code CC15 to get 15% off your first order. Our poll question today, what letter grade do you give Alvin and Co. for this trade deadline? A, B, C, F. Alternatively, I'm angry. Harmon, let's start with you because you're obviously just joining the podcast. Yeah, I think it's a solid B for me. I think starting it off with a bang in terms of moving that Travis Hammett contract, if you told me they would have been able to move it for free, especially in this flat cap economy, moving salary out is so difficult. Go back to last offseason. There were so many teams that wanted to move out bad salary that they just couldn't do it. And for the Canucks to be able to take Travis Hamannick, who is a bottom pair defenseman making $3 million, he's redundant and been outperformed by um, Pullman and, and Shen. And, and even Burroughs, I think, has, has had moments where he's been... It's it's at least like they've performed a similar It's close. Level. It's, it's close, close and it shouldn't be. Yeah. And so you can replace Hamannick's contributions at uh, <laughs> right around the $1 million mark. And... So for the Canucks to not only get rid of that, but also net a third round pick in return, that trade is a grand slam. Now, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the biggest needle mover, but it's the sort of win that I don't think would have... Like, if you told me ahead of the deadline, they're going to be able to move out of that Hamnick contract without retaining and without giving up an asset and actually getting one back, um, you're doing cartwheels if you're a Canucks fan there. Now... The third round pick for Travis Dermott. Now, that's interesting to me because I've kind of gone back and forth on this one in terms of there was that debate of what would you rather have the third round pick, which I don't know if you're necessarily looking to use it in in the draft because it, it may take a long time to develop. But maybe even in we talk a lot about offseason opportunities and and to bid on these players that come up, you need picks. And so maybe that's the sort of third round pick that you can use as a trade asset versus taking the role on the dice with Travis Dermott. I've gone back and forth on that. I don't mind the bet on Dermott at all. I think he's got a p- pretty clear floor as an above average third pair defenseman. He's versatile in that he can play both sides. He is mobile, um, moves the puck well, which are attributes that the Canucks desperately need uh, back there. I am interested to see what he can do with more confidence, especially in Boudreaux's system, because he's also the type of player that excels in an environment where there's freedom to pinch and keep plays alive in the offensive zone. And he's a very aggressive player. And even uh, the gaps that he plays defending the rush. Now, he's interesting to me as well, because and actually, you know what? We can we can save the the Travis Dermott deep dive for maybe later in the pod. But I'll just say interesting roll of dice there. Um, well, let, I, I, the thing I'd like to throw back to you here is like I, I look at that deal and I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think you have value whether it be in the trade market or even just using it on a yeah. prospect with that third round pick. I'm not I'm not agreeing in the same realm, and I don't think you're saying this, but it's not a, a home run making the trade for Dermot, you're taking yes. a risk here at this time, but you would have also been taking a risk if you're drafting a player yeah. in this upcoming draft in the third round. What I'm curious to see is where 
How much interest was there from the analytic department of the Vancouver Canucks, as well as the pro scouting staff about Dermott that made them want to pull the trigger with a third round pick, right? Because if I, if I look around the league and I see a guy who's in a situation like Travis Dermott was, I can see a spot where he's swapped for a fourth round pick. So to think that the Canucks moved up and wanted to make the move for a third round pick, I think they were one of the teams that if I just look at the trade market was probably one of the only teams offering a third round pick for that type of player. I think if we're talking about like a fourth or a fifth being dealt here, it's a, it's a big home run for me there. I just wonder bringing in a third for Hamannick felt like such a massive win that we haven't seen Dermot play yet. And you bring up a lot of good points about him fitting into Boudreaux's system, but I wouldn't call that one an absolute win just yet either, because you're going to have to see what happens with the player. But a 25-year-old is a lot different than an 18-year-old as well with how they're going to develop, if they develop. You've already seen this guy playing 250 NHL games. You know he's an NHL player. Would you say that the base and the floor of him is just a third-line defenseman at this point? Like You know he's going to be you know, a 5'6 guy. He's not a 7'8 guy, right, in the yes. NHL? Oh, 100%. And that's interesting, too, where if you look at his underlying profile, he's crushed it in bottom pair minutes. And for a long time, I think Leaf Science actually expected that, hey, this is a guy with legitimate top four upside. Uh, and that's where it is. Like, I'm curious to know whether the club sees p- potential untapped upside, especially um, he's mentioned the the confidence aspect and, and he'll have the opportunity here to, to do so because, and, and it also fits the whole, the type of reclamation project defenseman that, Rutherford's usually targeted in Pittsburgh, right? When you look at uh, Justin Schultz um, as um, as one example of just this athletic type of D-man who can skate, who can move the puck, um, who has warts and other deficiencies in his game and maybe hasn't found the perfect fit, but they're willing to roll the dice on a player like that. And to me, I just think Dermot is a classic example of, and, and I cannot emphasize this enough, how when he broke into the league, Dermot legitimately crushed third pair minutes, like crushed. There was a lot, there were a lot of Leafs fans that going back to some of those Boston series were going, why are, why is Ron Hainsey playing so many minutes on the top pair? Let's, let's feed Travis Dermot more ice time, more minutes. And to me, he sorts sort of fits. There's this certain player type that comes up um, where you have this like young, sort of early to mid twenties defenseman who, um, this player type is athletic, moves the puck well, and crushes analytically in soft minutes. And you just don't know sometimes whether they're going to keep that up as they step up in the lineup. Like there are tons of examples of them, right? Um, Nate Schmidt is a perfect example when he started in Washington, was a very similar profile as Dermot. Uh, but then on the flip side, there's also like Colin Miller, who, who similar situation, yeah. crushed bottom pair minutes analytically, just wasn't ever trusted enough defensively in the top four. Um, another example that panned out was in Florida, Mackenzie Weger. Um, I remember talking about him as a trade target for years of, hey, this guy crushes minutes. He moves the puck really well. Excellent transitionally. He's an example of a guy that panned out. Uh, Vince Dunn, as uh, another example of the contrary, crushed bottom pair minutes. He can move the puck really well, um, and he hasn't been able to work in a top four role. And you just don't know until you test it out. Now, we've seen glimpses of it not working out initially in Toronto. But again, with with confidence, with a fresh start, um, I think that's what the Canucks are going to roll the dice on. And it's one of those situations where, at minimum, he's a high-end third-pair third pair defenseman in my eyes. And we'll see if there's anything else beyond that. I think that's the exciting thing for the current situation he's coming to. Let's look at what happens with the top four and specifically the left side. Quinn Hughes is going to be the number one. That's not going to change at any point this season, 
But I find it interesting what's happening right now with OEL and the downtrend between OEL. If he's battling an injury, if he needs less minutes, he's a guy who's averaged 22 and a half minutes all season long. But over the past basically six to four weeks, I think it feels like everything's trending down, whether it be minutes or just effectiveness from OEL. Does that feel like the situation where Dermot, like in my mind, it makes a lot of sense for for if you want to try a guy in the top four. Or you want to be able to say like almost a game to game basis? Is he a top four or is he not a top four? You can try that with Dermot as the season goes on here because OEL is going to need some rest. Like it's it's very clear to see that he's struggling with something. I don't know. You know, a lot of people are leaning towards injury. I don't know if it's that, if it's confidence, or just his body at this age. He's dealing with something and can definitely go for being a third pairing guy for a handful of nights over the next. You know. I basically think like next month you could see some games where OELs maybe playing 14 to 16 minutes a night. Maybe that's the night where you see Dermot touch 20. And if he's successful and he looks good in those games, awesome. That really helps your left side. It also might give you some options to use him on the right side down the road. Because when I watch tape of Dermot specifically kind of diving into just the points that he's putting up, I couldn't believe how many of the points were coming when he starts a lot of them kind of came from face-offs where he was on the right side because it was his ability. I wouldn't say to, to use the one-timer, but just that effectiveness of something you kind of talk about, Harm, when when you talk about players going down on their on their downward side, going down, it felt like the opposite with Dermot because he was able to make a pass from the right. right side as a left-shot guy. It opened up so many things for him to make the cross-ice pass. I saw points coming that way. I also saw points coming just off of the shots for that he was making as a right-side guy off of face-offs. So I'm curious to see how they use him in that role, whether he's going to be the the third pairing guy on the left side, or if we're going to see him maybe, you know, team up with a guy like Brad Hunt and try and bring some offense to a third pairing. Like there are some real options for him here, but I think one of the things I want to see as the season goes on this year, especially when the Canucks get to the point where, listen, like they're going to be eliminated from playoffs at some point here. Uh, that's when you'd like to see Dermot be pushed a little bit and kind of, you know, lean back a little bit on OEL. I think that Dermot has the potential to at least try it this season. And it's not like you need to wait years before you give him that opportunity. You can give him that opportunity. Now. I think you're confident enough in the player that he is right now to at least give him a shot as your fourth guy on your defense core. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and you, you brought up a great point with OEL there. And, and I do think it's pretty clear. He's, laboring in, in some sense physically he's skating a lot more like edler um than the oel that's saw. a really good comparison actually well it's, it's especially the way he's getting kind of turned off the rush and the way you're watching him go back on defensive zone retrievals um we saw oel skate a lot better earlier in the season so now i don't think oel is going to get get to the point where he's playing 14 to 16 minutes um, but is there a scenario where maybe as the season goes on and it becomes clear that the playoffs are a more and more distant, um, uh, more and more distant, more and more unrealistic at that point, do you start to scale his minutes back and, and give, and give German the opportunity to touch 18, 19, 20 minutes a night and just see what you've got? Absolutely. And, uh, I do also like the versatility of he can play both sides. And you mentioned some of the offensive success he's had on the right side. There are a lot of players in the NHL who we say, yeah, he can play both the left and the right side. And that can be true, but sometimes a player is better on one side than the other. I think Dermot is genuinely just as good on the right as he is the left. So it's not one of those cases of, yeah, he can play the right side in a pinch. It's no, he's legit good on the right side, um, just as he is on the left side when he's playing um, further down the lineup. And I think at this point, I'm just kind of curious to see what the club can do maybe for him to earn um, 
defensive trust because I think that's been the biggest obstacle for him. Um, is he he tilts the ice and he helps drive so much possession and um and when he's on the ice, other teams will generate a lot, but he's prone to the big mistake in terms of mm-hmm. the wrong. Like he loves to kill plays early in the neutral zone. You love to you'll you'll see it right where he'll close really quickly quickly on his gaps, but the occasional time he will get burned and it'll look really bad. Or in zone, he might ha- make that big mistake, and so that to me is also one of those scenarios where. After looking at um, the Dermot, Dermot sort of arrival, I kind of looked at that and went, what does that mean for Jack Rathbone's long-term fit with the organization? Yeah. Because to me, they're pretty similar types. And sure, Dermot will see will see if he can have some top four upside. There's still a distinct possibility. But he's also 25 years old. And at this point, when you're acquiring him, I think you're more the more realistic bet is that on a contender he'd be a third pair guy. And at that point, I'm just mapping things out. They kind of check the same box that Rathbone and Dermot do of, hey, they're transitional puck movers who skate really well, who have defensive question marks about how they can how they can break up plays in zone and, and um, whether they can defend top players. And no, you know, Rathbone obviously has more dynamic offensive tools, but Dermot is bigger he is more versatile in being able to play both sides and he ha- already has proven to be able to drive high-end third-pair results at the NHL level. And obviously the Canucks have to be high on him that they gave up a third-round pick for him. Yeah. And so to me, I think about, say, like going into next season, I don't think you could put Dermot and Rathbone on the same pair together. And if that's the case, how, like, how, like, how, do, you, how do you fit Rathbone in? And And that's one of the things that I've kind of been wondering is what, does this potentially signal about the organization's view on, on Rathbone? It is going to be really interesting. And I, I know I brought up like if I, the way I look at the third pairing now is I do like some of the things you talked about with Dermot there and being, you know, prone to the big mistake as well. I think this is actually going to be setting up a situation for Tucker Pullman to now like prove what he can be as a third pairing guy. Exactly. You don't have to ask him to be a top four defenseman anymore, but you want Tucker Pullman to play play the way that the reasons that brought him in were kind of described to us as yes. the defensive guy who's going to just stay in his own and let Dermot be the primary puck mover. Those were also thoughts that I had about Jack Rathbone, right? Like Jack Rathbone, I thought could have came into a third pairing and potentially played with a Pullman or a Hamannick when he was here because it was going to be a defensive player going with them. I, I agree with you. And I find it interesting with the Jack Rathbone situation because it's very clear when Jack Rathbone plays in the AHL that he is a high end defenseman. Like, High, like one of the top defensemen in the AHL right now. It's also clear that he didn't have a lot of luck this year in the NHL, and that definitely made him look a little bit worse than he probably even played this year in the NHL. But you have to imagine the next year, Rathbone has to be knocking on that door to make that jump into the NHL. And and you you brought it up with Dermot there, like it's going to be a hard road for him to play better than the guy who the organization just traded for and traded a decent pick. Because I still do look at this and the way that I see management groups work, there's a lot of value when they make a trade for a pick that's pretty high. They want that player to pan out, right? Even if Jack Rathbone's the better player, management's still going to want the guy that they traded a pick for to be on that roster next year. So I do find it hard to think that, like, I can see Rathbone improving a lot again this offseason. And I can see him having a really good camp next year. 
like I don't see a world, and I need to see Dermot first, obviously, but I don't see a world where Rathbone doesn't look like he should be in the NHL coming out of training camp next year, and that's going to be a tough decision for the Vancouver Canucks to make. And right. even if they... Sorry, I just wanted to quickly add to Even if they play on different pairs, right? Like, let's say there's a world where Dermot... Um, looks great in a top four role, whether it's on the left or, or the right side, and that's where you pencil him in. Long term, to me, I don't think you can win in the playoffs having Hughes, Dermot, and Rathbone on the same blue line. In terms of, like, you're just gonna get you're gonna get crushed by these bigger teams in the West, mm. like a team like Minnesota. Um, that is a lot different than the Minnesota the Canucks saw in the bubble in terms of the, not only the speed but also the pay uh, the the size or like Colorado too. Everyone talks about their speed and skill. They've got big boys up front: McKinnon, yeah. Ranton, Landis, Cog, and um, Nichushkin. Like you're not like Hughes, Dermot, and Rathbone is half your blue line. Like good luck trying to break up the cycle. You're gonna get mauled or like a team like Vegas in the playoffs. So I love the skill that those three guys have, but obviously Hughes is. Hughes is Hughes. He's your number one D. Yeah. He's a franchise guy. But after that, the way I look at it, and maybe you can make it work in the regular season, and, and this is something that you think about down the road, but I don't think a Stanley Cup contender is going to have Dermot and Rathbone on the same blue line when you already have Quinn Hughes. The question I have with Dermot is, is he, and especially Rathbone, I wonder what, I think there's a decision to maybe get made next trade deadline with these two players then, right? Because Dermot's going to be an RFA, I believe, at the end of his contract next year. You're going to have Jack Rathbone, who I believe will be on his last year of his ELC as well. So you're going to have to kind of make a decision there. Both both RFA, so you can keep them pretty easily. But if Rathbone's just down to the AHL all the way up to the trade deadline, and you can get value back for Dermot next year, and you're finding out that you know he is just a third-pairing guy... Maybe he's able to return something next year in the draft, obviously, or in the trade deadline. But obviously, you need to see how this guy fits. And it's, I think, sorry, go on. I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see where they play him, how much they play him on the right side, and how much top four time he gets. So that's what I'm looking at for the rest of the season because we know he's the third pairing lefty. He's capable of doing that. But you need to see what he looks like on the right side. You need to see what he looks like when he's playing 18 minutes. You need to see what he looks like when he's killing penalties. That's what you can all test out this year before you make a decision going into next year and probably make the final decision at training camp on what is going to happen with Rathbone and Dermot. Because I do think that, you know, like we've kind of said here, you know, there there is a lot of upside to Rathbone's game if he's able to figure a few things out. And I think some more AHL time this year is going to be good for him. Playoff run is going to be good for him. And then next year at training camp, like I don't see a world where Rathbone doesn't look like one of the top three left shot guys in this organization next year at training camp. This is the longest poll question segment ever. Do you guys remember that this started with me talking about the poll I, question? I know. We still haven't read the results of okay, the poll question. Okay, go for the results. That's what the people are here for. Okay, so well, first. Dermot's an interest. It's just such an interesting thing, right? Like, well, it really I we is. we to save the deep dive for later, but we ended up doing yeah, it. We just, yeah, we well, just went for it. So. It's interesting, man. I, f- I find it so interesting. It to is. See what's Absolutely. Happen. It was it was good stuff. Just to recap, though, the question we asked was, what letter grade do you give Alvin and Co. for this trade answered it. Yeah, I know you guys answered it. I have to read what the folks that voted on it. That's what the oh, listeners right. want. They want to hear what the the other listeners said. Yeah, so they don't care about us. A, B, C, or F. Go look at it at Canucks Convo right now. Check it out. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so B is leading the vote with 62%. C comes in second with 21%. And 9% of people say F slash I'm angry. 8% gave them an A. Again, that was our 248 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods. Go to atlasgds.com. Use promo code CC15. I got a question get for you Get 15% off. And well, 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 what do you got? You say B? I want to say, say something B. more. Yeah, okay. I said B as well. Let me just ask quickly. Do you give them an A if 
Tyler Mott was actually a third round pick coming back and the Canucks didn't trade for Dermott and kept the third round pick. Yeah, I think so. Because then right there, you're getting rid of $3 million cap space. You're bringing in two third round picks. Is that an A performance at the deadline? I think if you trade Travis Hamanick for like a sixth Listen. or a seventh, I think you're still giving them the a Travis Hamanick deal on his own is like an A plus plus. Yeah. Like that, that deal on its that own that is massively the high. scale that that breaks the scale. You yeah. traded Travis Hamanick a cap dump, essentially. Again, like the a guy was on waivers. Dump too. The Not guy was year. on waivers, and every NHL team, including the Ottawa Senators, looked at it and said, "Oh, no, thanks. We don't want that at the full cap it." But now, at the trade deadline, you know what? We need some veteran leadership. Let's do it. Can't put a price on leadership, boys. Yeah. No. Okay. What else do you got? You said well, you got something. I was gonna say. I think something we should incorporate in the poll questions is because we don't have a text line. I'd love to get a text line going one day. But reading some of the replies, like people explain their yeah, answers. Yeah. So we'll start with Nexus here. Nexus said, a, from the gulag, by the way, they had their prices for pieces. They didn't need to move till the offseason and they got a pick back for a player. They weren't likely bringing back and they didn't trade Shen. So Nexus gives them an A for that reason. Someone else, they didn't say what they gave, but they said, OK, with the actual transactions, disappointed with the lack of more impactful moves that alter the future pro- trajectory of the franchise and we'll get to that later because i did want to talk about that uh we were, ex- were not expecting but it was rumored that we could hear a name like connor garland brock besser or jt miller get moved today and we didn't see any of them get moved we saw all kind of the low impact moves that we've been talking about happen so we're gonna talk about that down but clay said at clayton twa twa probably each trade in a vacuum mott trade is a c plus dermot trade is a b hamannick is an a plus Overall, I'd say a B. Kind of the thought process yeah. I think we all had as well. Mikey Canuck says B would have been A if they got a third for Motter. Getting a return for Hamannick is a big W. Cam Brown says we should have got more for Mott. Thought the Habs and Avs trade involving Lekkonen was a good base to start with. Obviously different players though, right? And again, it's kind of like... a lot better. Than exactly. Lot. And that's kind of what I was saying is we saw a fourth round pick or a fourth round player, fourth line player rather. We saw a fourth line player in Mason Appleton get dealt. He's better than Appleton's third line guy. Exactly. And and that's your price. Yeah. Like that's the price point for Mott. So I think when I the market this, gets set like that, you kind of have to just kind of look at the market and that's what the country is. I mean, Max Domi with. went for a prospect that was picked in the third round last year. Yeah. Max Domi has, I think, 32 points this season. Mm. Here's what I said in the first half, and we'll get your thoughts because we'll kind of transition now into the Mott and the return for Tyler Mott here. What I thought is I don't I don't believe that this was the best offer for Tyler Mott all year long. I have to imagine at some point during the season, whether it was 48 hours ago or two weeks ago, I can't believe that that was the highest thing offered for Tyler Mott. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. I, um, well, for starters, I should say that the Mott return ended up being in line with, I think what a lot of other fourth liners went for. It doesn't change the fact that I think it's definitely on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of what we expected i think third round pick was kind of my expectation and it was like maybe a second um so fourth round pick i mean sure it's it's definitely a a bit of a letdown a a bit of a disappointment but it's in line with the market and I, i think the one thing that we're kind of realizing is mott just wasn't as valued around the league the same way he was here in vancouver and i think it also got complicated by the number of these sort of depth forwards that were available, right? Nick Paul, for example, 
out in Ottawa that Tampa paid a premium to acquire. Tampa was one of the teams rumored to be in the running for uh, for uh, for Mott, and they were able to pick up Paul, who otherwise there was this, like, does, will he extend in Ottawa? And it looked like there was going to be a future for him, and he ended up hitting the market. Lekkonen, it sounded like it was going to be a 50-50 um, and obviously Lekkonen's a higher end player is more of a middle six guy, but another sort of piece where it's just about adding forward depth. And he was supposed to be a 50, 50 guy as, as someone who would have been an RFA in Montreal was like, okay, we'll give him up. Um, Seattle had a, had a fire sale sale where we obviously heard that Toronto was interested in, in, in Mott, uh, potentially as one of the teams. And then they, as part of the Giordano deal, ended up picking up Colin Blackwell as their depth option. And then obviously Seattle also sold on Mason Appleton. And so I just think there were a high number of these depth forwards that I didn't necessarily expect all of them to hit the market. And I think there was, and I think it ended up for these sort of more depth forwards. And again, maybe Lekkonen's in a different tier. He is in terms of ability, but um, I just think there were a lot of options to choose from, from in terms of these depth guys. Um, now, as a contender, if I was a contender, I'd pay a third round pick for Tyler Mott. I find but, it so interesting, though, that this is a player who the reason the Vancouver Canucks weren't able to re-sign him is because he's probably going to go for two point five on the open market in free agency. I don't know if he's going to do that though. What he, do you mean? You don't think he's going to two five? I, I don't know. I can see it being very possible. It's I think possible that's, if he has a good playoff run, but I, I don't know because he's also been injury prone, right? Yeah, that, that's true too. I think that the way that I'm looking at it though is a player that is being evaluated around that. We'll say 2.25. Let's say that's the number he gets in free agency. I think he gets more than that with somebody in free agency. To think that that player is valued at his cap hit right now, I, I just I'd find the value as a fourth round pick still a little bit low. Like I do think that at some point this year. There had to be a third on somebody's table for Tyler Maul. I, I can't like I can't see it being the other way. Sure, but I would agree with your premise, but that rely that banks on the assumption that someone is going to pay him, say somewhere around Jason Dickinson money, which I I don't know. Like I genuinely don't know if that would have been the case. That's I think you know. That that's the sort of ask I think the Mott camp would have had. That doesn't mean someone's going to step up to the plate and actually pay up for it. So now, actually, this is the perfect opportunity for Mott if he has a strong playoff run on a high-profile New York Rangers team, um, getting a, a strong opportunity with the number of injuries that they had. I mean, there was a point where I looked at Rangers' depth chart. Um, this was, I think, a month ago, and you guys were asking about Miller and, and what if they package Mott together. And at, at the time, it was like, oh, they their bottom six looks relatively set, but then so they started getting a lot of injuries and and now they're at the point where Mott made made sense for them but yeah I mean if he has a strong playoff run out east with that sort of spotlight yeah I think he'll 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 get that kind of contract but it's I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that he'll be say like a two and a half million two and a half times four um type player there's a bit of breaking news here got a trade to announce Ryan Kessler is a member of the Vegas Golden Knights now. <laughs> so oh, this is the trade. It actually is kind of a, a bigger one. Um, basically, what's happened here is it's a second round pick in 2024, conditional second uh, for the tr- for Evgeny Dadanov. No, Evgeny Dadanov and a second round pick 
in 2024. Who, by the way, Dadnoff was the one who was involved in the Ottawa Senators and Vegas Golden Knights trade for the Vancouver Canucks pick. So there's another Canucks tie. So the Ducks are getting that. The Ducks are getting Dadnoff and a second round pick in 2024. Conditional, not sure what the condition is yet. Uh, And Vegas gets defenseman John Moore and the contract of Ryan Kessler. So that's the trade. This one just came out. How it's four twenty seven right now. Yeah, the NHL Central (laughs) Registry is like running on dial up right now. Wow, that's a late one. No one can use the internet and the phone, and they've got thirty three people on hold, so it's taking them some time. All right, Uh, Brad Richardson. That's the other one. That's the final thing we have to talk about. Wearing number thirteen, right? Wearing number thirteen. for the Vancouver Canucks, Brad Richardson played uh, 2014-15. I think 15-16 was his last season, uh, if I recall correctly. I Maybe 14-15 was... Yeah, 14-15. Sorry, yeah. 14-15 was his last season. I uh, spent two seasons with the Vancouver Canucks, did Brad Richardson. 37 years old now. Not the player he was when the Vancouver Canucks had him last. 37 years old. Harmon, the Vancouver Canucks, claim him off waivers from the Calgary Flames. Yeah, I loved him in 2014-15. I <laughs> thought that he was this sort of bottom six piece. I looked at him and I was like, just resign him. Like, don't go out in free agency and, and, and pay for like a Brandon Sutter on the trade market or... or Jay Beagle. Yeah. Pick, so pick, I, pick a name. Yeah, I mean, so, I was just like, why not just keep Brad Richardson? He's perfectly fine. He kills penalties. He's responsible at both ends of the rank. He provides a little bit of offense. Now, at 37 years old, he's not the player that he was. How many years ago is that now? Like seven? Yeah, wild. It's we were we were, wild. we were just picking if we wanted to do physics, chemistry, or biology know, in high school. Geez. You guys are choosing between yeah, fine arts like 14, and band 15, at that point. Yeah. Did you do fine arts or band? What did you pick? Fine arts. I picked fine arts as well. I was I terrible band because you got PE all year long when you did band. <laughs> that Nanaimo school district. That's not how it worked here for me, at least. Oh. You didn't get to pick uh, and have PE all year. Otherwise, I would have. I played clarinet in grade seven. Okay, we're getting off the rails a bit here, as we so often do. But Brad he's Richardson's just a guy overall. now. He's I just mean, a guy. He's, he's, the Canucks are a little bit banged up. Well, he's going to play. Body. Yeah, he's he going to play fourth penalties. line center instead yeah. of Patan. Yeah, because because yeah. that's the thing is you know Bruce Boudreau was talking about when they lost Pedersen and you know. They had to play Patan, and they had to move Highmore to the center position because he said, yeah. yeah, like, Highmore's not great at center, and we can't really ha- afford to have that. So You mean to tell me Matthew Highmore is not a top nine centerman, quads? How dare you? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, neither is Jason Dickinson, apparently. So. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Can we talk about a few things from the Alvin uh presser? Yeah, I, I just want to wrap up. When I saw they claimed Richardson, I was like, okay, so now Moss definitely getting yeah. traded. Okay, yeah. Well, Brad Richardson's a connector. Yeah, Do you well, have anything else to add? No, to I it, think it's, it's fun that they got Brad Richardson, but that's all it is. Like, it's fun that they got this 37 year old who used to play for the Canucks. Like, we had Yannick Hansen on, like, live when we heard this on 650, and he was like, you know, hearing, like, Yannick talk about, oh, yeah, like, I played with him. And I was just like, gosh, like, Yannick's retired and, like, I know. still did a good well, job. And, like, we're asking, like, are the Canucks going to pick up Yannick now? Like, he's still smart, obviously. So, like, what's he going to bring on the ice? Yannick Hansen goes in and just rips everyone in the locker room. He's like, you're not trying hard enough. You're not doing this. Well, well, he's enough. already said he'd walk up to Hugliner and be, you belong in the minors. He's already said that on <laughs> 650. Oh, jeez. Oh, hey, speaking of which, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to the papering of uh, Vasily Pod Coles, and then yeah, I'll get give my uh, stuff here. Take. Out. Yeah. Um, give your uh, give your thing. Also, last thing on Richardson, talk to some people in Calgary. He was probably the worst Flames player this year, so don't expect too much. Uh, he, again, he's a guy that's shot gonna, quads. He's no, sure. Dude. I'm just saying he he has really struggled in all situations uh, this season with Calgary. Also, Calgary's a really good team, so you know we're excited to see Brad Richardson. But team don't get too tank. excited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can I start with one that actually that Harm tweeted out from the Alvin presser? Yeah, uh, I found like 
not just because Harm tweeted out, because Harm didn't say this, this is what Alvin <laughs> said, but Harm had the tweet uh, about Alvin talking about Luke Shen. And like, and you know what? This makes a lot of sense from watching the last handful of games is it's nice to see someone give a bleep. And Luke Shen absolutely does that. And Patrick Alvin was very high on Luke Shen uh, when he spoke about him in the press conference today. And I found that kind of interesting about, you know, the off ice leadership, the on ice leadership, everything that he was kind of talking about. Uh, I think the quote that you have here, Harm, is it's extremely important for a young group to have someone like Luke Shen. So true. And, and you know what? That's why he didn't get traded today. Yeah, and he's not an expiring contract. And here's the thing, too. Everyone was like, oh, well, when Benning said this stuff about culture and leadership, you guys you guys ripped him. But it's like, this is different. Luke Shen makes under $1 million. You didn't, you didn't give him $3 million times four years. They didn't sign Luke Shen because he brings culture and leadership and then yeah. overpay for him because of his yeah. culture and leadership. That's the difference. But no, I mean, in all, in all seriousness, I would notice that at all these practices, Luke Shen's always the last guy off. And it's such yeah. a cliche thing, but he's such a legitimately good dude. He's won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and he brings legitimate on-ice value, right? He's partnered with Quinn Hughes. And yeah, he shouldn't be in the top four. We know that. But by the same token, this is a blue line where it's not you're not going to find Quinn Hughes' partner overnight. No. And you can still sell him at the deadline if you're out of it next year. And so from that perspective, given how cheap he is, given how productive he's been and, and how valuable um, he sort of has been as a, as a stopgap piece and the culture and, and all of those factors, I 100% agree. And I think it also comes down to, like we've heard Boudreaux in the past talk about he hasn't been at times overly impressed with the club's preparedness. Um I, I do think that when they mention a young group, this is still a young group that's maturing, right? Like they aren't there yet in terms of being able to control a locker room and and they're not this well-oiled machine. They've they've been very volatile up and down. They've been very inconsistent, right? Very streaky. They have moments where they've they've absolutely capitulated and, and they haven't responded well to adversity at all. And then obviously since Boudreaux has taken over, they've looked a lot better and have had runs where they've looked excellent. So to me, they're, they are young and a little bit, um, it benefits to have that type of father figure like Shen, um, who can kind of stabilize things and, and just, and it's just going to show up and, and do the right things all the time. Absolutely. And you've seen it in the last few games. Like there are times where the Canucks are just getting dominated in the first period. And then Luke Shen is there to bring the emotion up, lay a hit in the corner, push a guy around in front of the net. We saw him bury Matthew Kachuk the other day in the Flames game right in front of the net. in that game. Yeah. And multiple times. And like I, you know, I even think back to the Sunday game against Buffalo, laying big hits in the boards when they're starting to lose pace of the game in the first period. Like this, the things that he's able to bring, this should be a piece that can fit into your, you know, maybe he's the guy playing with Dermot or Rathbone next year on the third right, pairing, yeah. and maybe you're able to use Garland or Besser or potentially Miller, whoever you trade in the offseason, you want to be able to find the partner for Quinn Hughes. It's something quasi, yeah. on the radio show, how much should I bring this up? Every single week, the big trade piece that you get off, the biggest thing, the most important piece for me on this Canucks team, like I said, it's not a third line center. It's not a top six winger. It literally is the Quinn Hughes partner. The next six years, you need to find the guy who makes sense with Quinn Hughes because to get the most out of Quinn Hughes, he needs to have the right guy. And Luke Shen's done a good job, but he's the guy who should play with Quinn Hughes when the injury happens to that guy. You need to find that player yes. this offseason with the big picks. And to me, like Luke Shen, I think could be a good piece moving forward. 
and I'd like to see him in the lineup next year, but he doesn't need to be playing with Quinn Hughes next year unless it's your last option. And here's the thing is we want to get this in quickly. They didn't trade a big name, right? And you just mentioned using a pick to get that partner for Quinn Hughes, and I think that's a fine long-term idea, but I also think you kind of need a stopgap because you can't expect Luke Shen to do this next year, and nobody's on the way. So you have to do something in the near future because you don't want an unhappy Quinn Hughes who's cycling through partners for the next two, three years and while they wait for his partner of the future to marinate in the AHL or to come up through whatever ranks he's drafted through. So my question to you guys is, Favor, you and I, when we talk about this, we talked about Connor Garland, JT Miller, Brock Besser. Those are the guys. Those are the guys that are going to get you a player who can play in the top four and can play alongside Quinn Hughes on the right side. Canucks didn't get that today. And you know in what I found mind, interesting? The Avalanche traded the two guys that I had targeted for right Ds. They traded Justin Barron. They traded Drew Hellison, two big right shot guys who are close to the NHL. And the Avalanche traded both of them. So these players are out there and available. Like, yeah. You can make this trade in the offseason with the LA Kings who have very similar right Ds that are clo- very close to the NHL. And that's what I was just going to say. Now, in my mind, the focus turns to the offseason because you can't keep all three of these guys. One of these guys has to move, and you need to get a right-handed defenseman back in return. Yeah, and the one thing I will say, though, is even with, say, like a Justin Barron or, or whatever prospect you get, I don't know that that player is going to be plug-and-play next to Quinn Hughes. Even someone like John Marino, I love John Marino, and I think he can be... Uh, a really sort of good player if the Canucks sort of target him in the offseason, but he profiles as more of a puck mover type, and I think uh, he would probably be better off anchoring a second pair. I see him as a number three type. I mean, you maybe you could. Maybe he'd work there. He's He'd by far be their best right-handed defenseman. But the point I'm trying to make is I think every team in the league would love to move one of their talented top six wingers for that top pair right shot guy and there just aren't enough of these top pair right shot guys and i mean every team i think every single team uh or sorry i shouldn't say every single team but there were tons of teams that had that need for or for top four righty i mean look at toronto how how many years did toronto just keep searching and searching and then they settled for a left shot guy and tj brody who could play the right side and has done it well but even since then even after finding that guy in free agency, they still need that guy again because Justin Hole um, has imploded and, and they weren't able to find that guy. They had to go and get a lefty in Giordano. Yeah. It's hard, It's really, really hard to find these right shot guys. That's why I don't, I don't understand why. And you know, I think the Canucks have, have flubbed this and the Ben, like as much as you want to give props to the Canucks in their drafting, you, sometimes you just need to draft right D's in the second and third rounds. Like you just need to because you have to hope that they can yeah. develop in that way. It's, it's not surprising to see like there's, I just feel like this kind of happened, especially the last few years. There's a run of right D's in the second round, just because it's like you can still find NHLers in the second round at that position, and, and you see a run of it every year in the second round. Right D's run off. It happened right as the Canucks picked Klimovich. There was a run of right D's starting with Scotty Morrow, then moving into just multiple right D's going after. That's what the Canucks need to draft this year. They well, need, you need to picks go and to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they haven't had enough picks. Yeah, that, I think that's what. I look at the when I look at the trade for Dermot, that's what I thought. I thought, you know, another third round pick would have been nice to take a shot on a right D there. You know, fire down two right D's that are in the top one hundred of the next year's draft. I think that would have been a boost to the team too. I still need to see what Dermot can do, obviously, before you value what he was, but you've just you've seen the Canucks management in the past, the previous regime, go that route of trading third round picks for twenty five year olds and it turning into absolutely nothing. When 
maybe drafting an 18 year old, especially a right D a position of need would have been something you could develop into the future, or at least see what's happening with LA, what happened with Colorado. They traded those players that, that were, you know, exciting right D prospects who were so valuable. That's why I, like, it's not a home run for me with Dermot just yet. You got to see what he fits in with. And if he can get that opportunity to play the right side, play 20 minutes a night, you, you just need to be able to draft these right D's and you said it, you need picks for that. Right. So that's what it, it kind of worries me a little bit moving forward here. Sure. We're going to save your prospect report because I know you have something on McDonough. Save it for Saturday. Save it for the Canucks Army article. No. Come on. We're doing a little tiny okay, bit here. Okay, you, you, could, you could talk about McDonough, Pencil, but you need no, to talk about No, not McDonough. The... Pencil down Pod Colson, too. I well, want to get that. And that's exactly what I was going to say. You you need to explain the papering process to the listeners. You need to, um, you need to talk about this because you were the one that asked about Aiden McDonough. Talk about that. Just not a whole prospect report. Please don't tell me about... Dimitri Zlodiev or anybody else. Just <laughs> please tell us what's going on with the papering process. You, you don't get to said, tell me <laughs> what I disrespect of well, Dimitri yeah, We're over an hour ridiculous. here. Alvin said today, he said today, Jack Rathbone and Will Lockwood said them by name are two guys that he expects to come up and play at the end of the year. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, so Dimitri's no, okay. Uh, Jack, yeah. Alvin mentioned both Rathbone and Lockwood to get an opportunity to hopefully work up their way to the NHL, play some games. He was saying he was hopeful of it. He said they were also looking good out in Outsford. Patrick Alvin's been out at Outsford multiple times. It's nice to see his face out there. Uh, never saw Jim Benning out there uh, in Outsford, so it's been good to see Patrick Alvin out there uh, and actually, you know, watching these guys play. Aside from him, it was interesting to hear, and the question was asked, I believe, by J-Pat or, or PJ, potentially. Somebody asked uh, if Vasily Colson was papered down, and for people who don't understand what that is, if you're papered down to the AHL, uh, specifically a guy in a two-way contract, it's very easy to do. Paper him down for today, bring him back up to the NHL, or I don't even think you need to push him down, send him up. Anyways, they paper him down to the AHL. He's now available for the Abbotsford Canucks on their playoff run. The Abbotsford Canucks season ends on April 30th. The Vancouver Canucks season ends on April 29th. So it'll be interesting to see how how and when Pod Colson does get sent down. Because I'll be surprised if they just send him down right at the playoffs. Maybe he gets a little bit of time going into that before. But the AHL playoffs are going to start at the beginning of May. And it's a strange series. It's like a best of three, a best of five, a best of five, a best of seven, then a best of seven. Like There's a lot of hockey to be played if the Abbotsford Canucks go on a deep run. And they have a good amount of players on their roster. Uh, who can who can go on that run? There's going to be a really talented team, and adding Pod Coles in that group is great. I'm curious, Harm. Like, I get your opinion on this. Do you think Pod Coles is sent down before that end of season here to get more opportunity, not play on a line with Chase on and Nick Patan? Like, is do they want to see Pod Coles in a similar spot to Quads? You mentioned this on the drive over. Do you want to see more of the Rathbone approach to Vasily Pod Coles, or is he too good of an NHL player right now to do that? It's a really good question. I think for me. It- I would kind of think to myself, given how how little time he's had when he was in Russia, and especially in the KHL, to be the guy on a team, uh, to be the front line, you're playing top line, you're playing first unit power play, you're, you're going to kill penalties, you're going to play 18, 20, 18, 19, 20 minutes a night and be our leader, our go-to guy. I, I would kind of lean towards thinking, hey, maybe towards the end of the season, you do... Before the start of the playoffs, before the end of the end of the regular season, maybe give him some games. But I think ultimately it's going to come down to how Pod Colson himself feels. What is he, what is he most comfortable with? Because it's been a huge learning curve. Just imagine yourself in his shoes of going to a country where you don't even speak the language, trying to adjust yeah. to a new culture, get acclimated to a new city, a new organization. You don't really know anybody on the team. There aren't any other 
none of your teammates speak the same language as you, and you're trying to fit in and be a part of the guys, and you're trying to adjust to a, to, the, to the North American ice surface. You're trying to adjust to the NHL game, which is a big jump. All that thrown at you at once. I I think for me, you'd have to have that conversation with Pod Colson and be like, explain to him the rationale of okay, these are the pros of of this opportunity in the AHL of of us sending you down, um, and just work and have that open and honest dialogue, and then let him sort of have at least some input. Because that way, you don't want to end up in a scenario where, where maybe he just doesn't want to, you know, maybe there's a situation where it's like he's played a lot of hockey and he doesn't want to adjust or, or whatever. He doesn't, maybe he's not comfortable with that. So I think it's just, for me, my initial thought is, yeah, I think that'd be great for him. Um, but we'll see. At the very least, it'll be fun to see him in the playoffs. So that'll yeah. be good. And sorry, you asked me my thoughts. I got to give them to you because I'm very adamant that he needs to go down. And I explained this to you in the car, but I'll explain it obviously on the podcast as well. Look, when I look at Vasily Podkolzin right now, I'm seeing a player who is getting similar to deployment to the one, like you said, that we all complained about when he was with Ska, right? Playing fourth line minutes, not really doing anything, not being the guy. And I think something I've criticized the team all season long for is not putting him on the power play unit, not putting him on the first power play unit specifically. But right now he's not getting any power play time. He's not killing penalties. He's just skating. He's playing on the fourth line. He's playing with Nick Patan and Alex chase on. He's not developing and he has long-term interest with this organization. Like if you want him to become the best player, it's not by playing with Nick Patan and Alex chase on or Brad Richardson, whoever's going to replace Patan. It doesn't even matter. Right now, Vasily Podkolzin isn't developing. He, he's at a pretty stagnant point, but he did develop this year with the NHL team. He took that step from being that guy that had to play those super, super sheltered fourth-line minutes, not playing in any situations. Travis Green had him on the power play at a certain point. Um, there were times in November when he was closing out games. He was being trusted with that. And even now, he's still playing sometimes in third periods. But overall, I look at the ice time, and I see it as a similar thing to Jack Rathbone uh, and his situation. And with that, I mean, sure, Jack Rathbone's probably better than Brad Hunt right now. Like, Jack Rathbone probably brings more to an NHL lineup than, I'd say, two of the guys, at least, that are in the NHL lineup and have been in the NHL lineup on a regular basis on this team. I think we saw that last season. I think we saw that in training camp. But I think with what he's doing in Abbotsford right now, again, like 25 points through 25 games, when he comes back, he's going to be better then three or four of the guys that they have on the blue line, right? And that's the whole point of developing your prospects. This is something that Alvin's talked a lot about, how he thinks it's fine. Leave those guys to marinate in the AHL. Let them get really comfortable and really good. I think Rathbone's going to be better for it coming up from the AHL. I think similar things should happen for Vasily Puckles. And I was telling you this um, before any of this papering thing even happened. I was going to bring the take today that I think Pod Colson, after watching these past few games, and now the Canucks are out of the race, right? Effectively, Pod Colson should be in the AHL. He should be getting a ton of minutes. I I don't think he's getting much at the NHL level. And the reason I didn't give this take before was because the Canucks were still in it, and rightfully so. I think Pod Colson is a better player, like all around, than some of the options they have. Like I think he's an all around better player than a few of the options that they have, similar to how Rathbone's better than Hunt and all that sort of stuff that I that I was just saying. But I think it benefits him more to be in the AHL. Now, I think there's there's a lot of benefit now for Rathbone, who's played, like I said, twenty five games in the AHL, to come up and play in the NHL. Absolutely. But I think Pod Colson's gotten that NHL experience and now he needs to go work on his game 
in the A. I agree. The only caveat I'd have, though, is it's very different managing Russians. Sure. That's and fair. like, and, like when yeah. he came over to North America, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee I, I, you going into camp. There's no way. It doesn't matter how bad he looks in training camp. They're not going to send him down. Yeah. That, it's just a little bit different. So that's where like, that's where you have to be cognizant. But I agree from a pure hockey perspective. Totally. And, and what you said, you got to sit down with him. You got to make sure he understands it. And you have to also get his feelings on it. Cause remember, you like, need him to buy in. Exactly. Cause remember this guy lives right next to the rink, like literally right next to the rink. And you know, he's got his young wife with him, right? Yeah, Abbotsford's close to Vancouver, but he's going to have to stay out there. You're not going to drive or commute. I know yeah. when it when it happened, they're like, oh, it's only 40 minutes down Highway 1. How fast are I you know. driving down Highway oh, 1? Oh, I've made it out there in 45. <laughs> have you really? I, my, it only takes an hour from Sportsnet to, for me to get there. You sneaking through the 45. HOV? Uh, I'm not pulling the harm, no. I'm not, <laughs> harm. Harm's got the, the bodies sitting beside him, whatever, the, the dummy beside him in the seat, crash test dummy. No, I, you can make it an hour out there, but I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, hard, okay, an hour is different drives than 40 that minutes. Two hours. Well, we had a couple bad ones. Yeah, you, you, well, we had one, too, that was bad. Driving out to the game? Yeah. Which is what Pod Coles would have to do, Chris. Well, hey, let me give Pod Coles the advice. You take the 99 down south, you take 16th all the way. Take 16th down there and you're good. All the way down there. 16th so when, to 8th. When Harvard says, make sure Pod Colson understands, it really means make it's sure he understands there, yeah. the route. It's like Faber sitting down with a map. Yeah, you want to go through South Surrey. That's what you want to do. It'd be like, what the hell is South Surrey? <laughs> no, All but right. also, I wonder too, like, I do you ever, do you lean on him being like, hey, we also have Klimovich out there who might exactly. you know, look up to you. I was just right? going to bring that is up. Is this yeah. a spot where you teach him to be like a leader towards a guy like Daniil yeah. Klimovich? Do you even play him with Daniil Klimovich? who hasn't gotten a lot of top six time this year, but is that a spot where you say, you know, like, hey, listen, Pods, you're going to be a second line guy. You know, it's not like, it, and honestly, the minutes out there in Abbotsford, Trent Call just rolls four lines always. He's always rolling four lines. So yeah. is there a spot where maybe you put Pod Colson with Klimovich and maybe see if that maybe gets Klimovich going? Because Klimovich, at the same time, horribly unlucky. I'm calling him the unluckiest guy in Abbotsford right now. He's got a 6% shooting percentage. He's hitting posts. He's having pucks like roll through the crease and just miss the net. I, I think this is a spot where you can maybe challenge Pod Colson to be a leader because he wants to be a leader. He's always been a leader throughout his career, whether it be the World Juniors or even Ska when they had to deal with the COVID outbreak. He was one of the leaders there. Like This is a natural leader in him. There's a reason why, though Vancouver fans don't want to hear it, the comparison was Mark Messier because, listen, Pod Colson likes to be a leader. And I think that would be the way that I would approach the conversation is tell him to go out there and be a leader with a guy like Danila Klimovich, who would likely really be happy to have a silly pod Coles and jump out there with him. Yeah. Like I said, like it, it goes far beyond just the benefit for pod Coles as well. But I think that's the biggest thing just from a pure hockey perspective, obviously, like you said, Harmon, there's more to consider, but from a pure hockey perspective, I think the pros greatly outweigh the cons that's all we've got for today do you have anything you want to add yeah so i asked about aiden mcdonough and kind of got the answer that listen the way i'm reading into this whole situation is he ain't signing okay and this is what patrick alvin even said today was that so the way that he answered the question was like we like to let the player make a decision we're gonna try and you know tell him why he should come to vancouver why he could come play here but we're gonna let the player make the decision when he's most comfortable to go pro I tell you what, I, I, I like just from reading everything around the situation, like McDonough's still obviously in the NCAA playoffs right now. I don't think it's happening this year, folks. As much as I'd like to see it, I don't think it's happening this year. I think 
I think he signs next year. I don't think the Canucks lose him. Uh, I think the connection with Rathbone in the organization is going to help a lot. Um, specifically, like we talked about Dermot being here, maybe Rathbone's in the AHL next year, a spot where McDonough ends up landing when the, when they're at the end of the season. We'll see what happens there. But I, I do think that makes a little bit of a difference there um, and helps the Canucks in what they're going to do. I, I don't. I don't think they're going to lose McDonough as, as people kind of get worried about it. I think they're going to get him into the Canucks organization. I just think it's going to be next year. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff as always. Harmon, thank you for joining us. For my co-hosts, Chris Faber and Harmon Dial, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.